Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 056 Noble. That's Wake Up Call 056 Noble. This is the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I am your host, AJ. I'm so thankful that you're listening today. Everyone that's returning and listening, appreciate you. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome. Glad that you're here. Hey, do me a favor. uh, Share this episode with somebody. I think it'll really bless not just you that's listening right now, and I'm thankful that you are. But I think if you share this with someone via text, text the link or share it social media or share it to your Instagram story, I'd greatly appreciate that and help me get this study, this lesson, this episode out to as many people as possible. I'm so thankful for everyone that takes part in the advancement of God's word and in this little small sliver of the body of Christ, the faith for my generation family, the faithful, I'm thankful that you helped me in doing that. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at some noble people. Oh, what are you thinking right now? Oh, AJ, you must be talking about me. Well, actually I am. Uh, Who we're going to talk about today, uh, definitely the faithful would follow under those that are noble. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read five verses there. I believe it's 10 through 15. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 10. Let's read. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, both Silas and Timothy, excuse me, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Acts 17, 10 through 15. And this is where we get, verse 11, where we get today's wake-up call title, is Noble. The the Bereans, now, of course, where I live, uh, I live in the upstate of South Carolina. we got a lot of listeners all over the U.S., and then a lot of international listeners as well. Where I live, about 40 minutes from where I live, there is a town named Berea. Uh, I'm sure other nations are like this as well, as well but specifically, uh, United States of America, you travel through the U.S., and you will see so many Bible-named cities. Well, for instance, Philadelphia. Where do you think we get that from? In Pennsylvania, right? Philadelphia. There's lots of names named after either It seemed like the founding fathers and founders of many cities, they either named their cities after cities in the Bible or 
after Native American tribes that were near them or around them. Interesting. But nonetheless, we're not talking about the Berea that's about 45 minutes from my house. We're talking about Berea that was located about 30 miles from Thessalonica. Of course, this is Asia Minor. Do yourself a favor. If you've never done this, this would be a good little exercise. Sometime when you get some time, just open up um, Safari or Google and just search um, Asia Minor and Bible Times. Asia Minor, M-I-N-O-R. Asia Minor in Bible times. Uh, also, you could probably search the Holy Land as well, but that may be more uh, Israel centralized, which is good. But there's so many free resources out there. Maybe even your Bible app, Uversion, Olive Tree, Logos Bible apps. I know uh, Logos, Olive Tree, they have atlases. And uh, used to be, you still can actually buy atlas books that contain all types of maps uh, from the Bible. Bible days, Old Testament, New Testament. Do yourself a favor, though, and at least just once look up Asia Minor in Bible times, that whole Middle Eastern section of the world that so much of our Bible takes place in. And, and explicitly, uh, the book of Acts and to the epistles, all those people that are being spoken to and ministered to, by and large, are in Asia Minor. They're in Macedonia, what is now known as Greece. Uh, Rome, the book of Romans, written to those in Rome, right? Italy. Uh, Modern-day Turkey, that's where most of the churches in the book of Revelation in chapters 1, 2, and 3, they're in modern-day Turkey. So it's interesting. Just go check that out. It'll, be, it'll make you a better Bible student. You'll enjoy doing that. Kind of gives you a perspective when you read these things. So basically what we have is Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching and teaching in a place called Thessalonica. Hmm, sound familiar? I'm sure it does. You have two books in your New Testament named First and Second Thessalonians. Well, here's the thing. When he's preaching at Thessalonica, he's not received very well there. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are some Jews that are extremely uh, angry with Paul. <laughs> they get really upset. See, Paul's custom, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see Paul's kind of method, method of soul winning and really has two two-pronged effort, uh, a two-sided attack when he approaches a city. He always goes to the synagogues very often on the Sabbath, and he will reason from Old Testament Scripture and argue the case before Jewish people at their synagogue that Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. The one that the Old Testament bears burden of in prophecy and, and proclaims and prophesies and points to, his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you have heard much about and not too long ago walked the earth in Paul's day. Walked the earth. He was crucified by the Roman government. And those claims that you heard of him being alive again after having died, they're true. And I won out of time, as Paul would say, out of time, have seen the Lord on my way to Damascus when I was actually persecuting Christians, followers of the way, which I am now one of. So Paul would go reason and argue like a lawyer argues a case to the Jewish people in the synagogue. 
And he would also preach and teach to the Gentiles, the Greeks. So when Paul takes that approach in Thessalonica, it's not received well. The Jews in Thessalonica, they get really upset. In fact, verse 5 of Acts 17 says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, so some believed, but some didn't. And those that did not believe, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, set all the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. It's interesting, isn't it? You've got these Jewish folks that some believe, and praise God they did, because at that point they're now Christians. And Christian has nothing to do with your natural-born nationality or ethnicity. There's white Christians, black Christians, brown Christians, yellow Christians, red Christians. If they were pink with purple polka dots, peoples on the earth, they too could be Christians. What does it take to be a Christian? doesn't matter who your mama or your daddy was. What matters is do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, or a Gentile. Everybody that's not, <laughs> naturally speaking. If you have faith in Jesus, you're a Christian. So some of these Jews believe, but some didn't. And the ones that didn't, well, you know, you got to hand it to them. Even though they were on the wrong side of history, <laughs> at least they were zealous. At least they were full of zeal. At least they were on fire for the for what they believed in, to the point to where they went to the marketplace and they found some rebel rousers. They found some guys that could stir up a stink and go trash some th- places and kick some stuff over and get mad and angry. I mean, they go and find, it says, evil men from the marketplace. Like, they're just like, you know, they go to the marketplace and they're like, hey, you need to go talk uh, to uh, Vinny. He just moved in from Thessalonica. He was living in in Italy. Oh yeah, we need to talk to Vinny. Yeah, really. Yeah, Vinny. He uh, he'll he'll take a uh, shepherd staff and crack it across someone's head if you pay him enough money. <laughs> and thus began the Italian mafia. No. <laughs> so they go find these guys in the marketplace. Look, we need some fellas that don't mind getting into a fight. I don't know. Maybe some of you that are listening used to be that kind of guy. <laughs> I don't mind a fight. I don't mind a fight. So they find some guys that don't mind a fight. And they go to Jason's house, one of these believers, one of these Christians, and where, they're ha- where they have Paul and his missionary team, and they're looking to stir up some trouble. They want to they take matters into their own hands and physically force out Paul and his ministry team. Well, what happens? Well, when that stink, that stir, uh, that mob starts to stir things up, they leave. Paul and them leave. It says in Acts 17.10, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So by night, they leave under the cover of night because these guys, they want to kill them. And though that it, there that is a form of persecution, let's be honest, uh, there's no bonus points for getting martyred if you're not finished with what you've been called to do. Many Christians, and it's not a laughing matter, I mean, many Christians have laid down their life for the gospel, uh, but you don't have to run to death. You know, you've got, you've got a mission set before you, fulfill it. 
And I doubt, honestly, probably most of us want to experience that. I pray we don't. I really do. I pray we don't experience that type of persecution. Uh, but you don't have to look for trouble either. It's not that you run from it, but you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And obviously, Paul, he's not afraid of persecution. He, ex he experienced it greatly. And notice what he does. He leaves Thessalonica. Why are you leaving Thessalonica, Paul? Well, these people are trying to kill me, and it's not my time to go. So let's go to Berea, which was out of the way. It wasn't like on a highway. It was like a little country town. Again, about 30 miles or so from Thessalonica, kind of like where, where I'm sitting right now in Lawrence, in the upstate of South Carolina, Lawrence, where a small rural southern town of about 9,000 people in the city, 70,000 in the county. But about 30 miles away is a bigger, much bigger city called Greenville. Actually, for the past several years, has been in the top 10 fastest growing cities in the nation. So Thessalonica, the big city, Paul leaves there and goes to a place that's not on a highway, but a byway. Berea. And what does he do once he gets there? Oh, we're just going to lay low for a little while. No, not Paul. He goes immediately, he goes to the Jew, to the synagogue and begins to preach to the Jews. Now here we get to verse 11. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Well, how so? Now what's interesting, that Greek word that is used in noble-minded, uh, eugenes, Eugenes, this Greek word, it means literally well-born, high in rank, figuratively generous, more noble or noble man. Now, what's interesting, of course, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the uh, you know Luke didn't just write down things for the fun of it. Luke author or penned the Book of Acts. The author is the Holy Spirit, but he penned down the Book of Acts. The same man that pinned down the gospel of Luke. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit moves on his heart to use the word noble? We see this word, eugenes, three times in the New Testament. We see it once here in Acts 17, describing these Jewish people in Berea, as well as in a parable that Jesus used, talking about a certain nobleman, or a ruler of high class and authority in a parable. And then we see it in one of the epistles where it says that, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, where that God, he doesn't use high-minded people or noble people or people of great power, but the weak and base things. I think it's 1 Corinthians 1. So there's three times this Greek word is used, and two times in a literal application, the other time here in Acts 17.11, in a figurative statement. The Holy Spirit, through, the, through Luke, is making the point that these Jewish people were noble-minded. They had a higher level of thinking. They had a high level of understanding and thinking. They approached things different than a common man. You know, a king carries himself differently than a pauper. Uh, a, a prince walks around different than a pauper, than just a common person. The, a king thinks different, talks different. Nobility, someone that is of, of, of a higher, if you will, class, a higher level of thinking, of approaching life, they just think different. It, it's kind of like maybe, a, you know, for us that live in the United States of America, um, royalty and things like that are often a foreign concept, at least for me. 
Uh, but, you know, go to change up the scenario. Wealthy people, these super rich folks, Elon Musk as such, um, they just think different. Like he he has a budget of billions of dollars. You and I, maybe not so much. <laughs> so when he thinks about doing things or going places here or there, you know, it's just it's a totally different mindset. These Berean Jews had a totally different mindset. And honestly, we need to have this noble mindset. Let's see what made them noble in God's eyes. Acts 17, 11, These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Verse 12, Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. I, I wrote, have written down, and we're going to look at it here, three acts of nobility by the Berean Jews. The first act of nobility in that they received the word with all readiness. If you want to be noble-minded, if you want to be noble in the eyes of God, be ready to receive the word. Be ready to receive his word. I mean, the moment it hits your ears, <clears throat> be ready to receive it. Be ready to act on it. Be ready to obey it. And God will see you as well as noble. Listen, listen to this. This is the parable of the sower. Jesus is explaining this parable of the sower. It's in the three synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to use Matthew chapter 13 as what I want to show you here. But when Jesus is explaining the parable of the sowers to the disciples, he gets to verse 23 concerning the good ground. It says, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. He who indeed bear fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So notice that just as the Bereans did, so should we. They receive the word with all readiness and being open-minded. They had an open heart and open mind and they were quick to receive the word of God. Well, Matthew 13, 23, concerning the good ground, and he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bear fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I'm actually going to turn over to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8 as well. I, I didn't write this one down, but I remember now that in reading it, Luke chapter 8 has a really really good ex explanation of what it means to be good ground, which is what we want to be. Luke chapter 8, let's see if I can find it here. Um, yeah. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, wow, with a noble and good heart, Keep it and bear fruit with patience. That that's that was a leading of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, because I didn't even have that written down. I, I'm, that's so interesting. I'm using the New King James Version. Uh, the King James Version of Luke eight verse fifteen which says this: "But that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience." 
But when they, let's see here, uh, heard the word with a noble and good heart. So this word honest, kalios, the New King James is translating as noble. Kalios means beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent. It's good and excellent in its nature and characteristics. It's genuine. It's precious. It's often translated as good, better, honest, meat, M-E-E-T, which is the King James Version of saying like uh, measures up, goodly. And then apparently in the New King James, it's translated as noble. That's the beautiful thing about kind of getting deep into the language of the Bible. And thank God nowadays, let me tell you something, folks. You that are members of the faithful, that love studying the Word of God, I know you do. Why else would you be listening to this podcast? You have access through your smartphone that makes available to you just the free resources that men and women of God a hundred years ago could not even have dreamt of. You can go so deep and study. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're not reading your Bible every day, that's the first step. You don't need to be looking up Greek words <laughs> if you're not reading your Bible every day. You know, if you open it up once a week, don't get <laughs> you don't need to go get a Greek lexicon. Just read your Bible. But from there, you can go as deep as you want to go. And, and, and what I was actually doing, for those that are just listening to the audio, of course, I stream. This is on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Uh, I was over here on my iPad to the right hand, and I was tapping on my iPad screen in my Bible, my Olive Tree Bible app. And it's telling me all this other information that's made available to us. But look how beautiful that is. Luke 8, verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it, bear fruit, with, and bear fruit with patience, with endurance. So the, 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 the gist here, the... the Meaning behind this word noble literally means first and foremost out of these three aspects of nobility, the Berean Jews showed one, they heard the word and they received it. See, when you hear the word of God, the power of God in that word is released at the point that you receive it by faith. What does receiving by faith look like? Obeying the word. So whatever the Word of God commands you to do in whatever area of life, you begin to obey it. Meaning that if you weren't before obeying it, you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and you change. You're constantly, I'm constantly being conformed to the image of God, to the image of Christ. How so? By yielding continually through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes you noble. That's what these Berean Jews, they heard the Word of God coming from the mouth of Paul. And they heard it not just as Paul's words. They heard it as words from God. Now, interestingly enough, they're obviously, before Paul goes to Berea, he was in Thessalonica, as we kind of summarized. Obviously, they were Christians in Thessalonica, or, or he, he won people to Christ while he was there, probably a little bit of both. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul's writing to that church, that believing body that is in Thessalonica, that when he was there in Acts 17, got ran out of by these other Jews that didn't believe. 
So he writes two letters that we know of that he writes to Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because you have received the word of God which you heard from us. Now notice, he's speaking to the Thessalonican believers here that aren't too far in physical location for the Berean believers. But notice here, you received the word of God which you heard from us, this is the key, though. You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, you receive the word of God not as the word of men, though I am a man and I spoke it. But you didn't hear what I had to say as if it were just my words. You received it in truth, the word of God, which it is. And when you received it as God's words, not my words, that's when it worked effectively in you, those who believe. You want the word of God to become powerful in your life? Receive it as God's word to you. Regardless of what vessel or what means you receive the Word of God. When you open up your Bible, read it as if God is speaking to you. When your pastor takes the pulpit and he begins to teach the Word of God, don't just say, well, that's what my pastor said. Pastor said so-and-so. Receive it as God's Word coming through a human vessel. When you're in youth group and your youth pastor is teaching to you the Word of God and preaching to you, giving you instruction, don't just take it. Well, that's what my youth pastor says. That's what he thinks. No, it's the Word of God coming from a vessel called your youth pastor. Believers that speak to you, when they say something from God's Word, receive it as God's Word. Well, that's, that's just what Jim says. Jim was speaking God's Word. See, here's the thing. The only mouths or mouths, I guess sounds better, mouths, mouths. The only mouths that the Lord has is the ones that will surrender to him on the earth. So if the Lord wants to speak now, of course, he can speak to our hearts by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. He can split heaven open and speak to you if he wants to. But generally speaking, no, no pun intended, generally speaking, the Lord's going to speak through a human vessel. And people get hung up with that because they hear it and they see a man, they see a woman, so they receive what that man or woman's saying as just simple words, when in reality, it's God's words. It's God's words. And Paul's saying to the Thessalonican church here in 1 Thessalonians, you receive the power of God's word, it worked in you powerfully, effectively, because you didn't receive it as my word, but you received it as God's word. Now, for, uh, James chapter 1, verse 21, tells us another way in, in concerning receiving God's word. Listen to this, James 1, 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When you receive the word of God, receive it with meekness. Receive it with humility. Receive it with a 
meek spirit, one that is pliable, one that can quickly yield to the truth of God's word, one that will hear and believe, one that will surrender any opposing opinion. You receive it with meekness, mildness, gentleness, a spirit of gentleness. You know, that's a characteristic of the infilling of the Holy Spirit indwelling in the believer is that we are meek, we are gentle, and we receive the Word of God, the engrafted, planted Word of God with gentleness. And you think about that. In fact, let me get, um, it tells us right here. Let me read that one more time. James 121, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive the meekness, with meekness, the engrafted Word, which is able to save your souls, engrafted, the planted word. Think about that. that. That grafting literally has to do with where you sever off a branch from one tree and you take it to the tree you want it to grow on. Uh, there's a really interesting video I found. It's a National Geographic video on YouTube. Go, You can go search it and, and watch it. It's like four minutes and eight seconds. But it's called, uh, let's see, it's something along the lines of the tree of 40 fruits, four zero, the tree of 40 fruits. And there's this guy in New York. I don't know how long ago it was, but I just recently saw the video. There's this guy in New York who has these trees and he has engrafted in some of these trees. And his goal is to get up to 40 on all the trees, but he has done it with at least one tree. I know he has engrafted into one tree 40 different branches from other fruit trees. So when this tree blooms, you have a trunk and branches, but he's engrafted. He's, he, what he does is he severs away, cuts some of the branches on the tree he's working with away. And then he cuts branches off of other trees, pear trees, plum trees, peach trees. And he takes those branches and he splits the receiving tree branch splits it in the middle and pushes that other branch into that split and then binds it up and lets it grow up. And so there's one tree that he's done this with up to 40 times to where in the spring when it blooms, there's 40 different varieties of fruit. Now there may be more than one plum, but like there might be 12 different types of plums and peaches and, and, um, uh, uh persimmons and different, I'm trying to think of the different, he, he called them stone fruits. So the, the peaches I know is a stone fruit and plums is a stone fruit is anything with a hard pit in it. Um, and so this tree has 40 fruits in it. And how did you do that? By grafting in, by taking a limb from one tree and bringing it to another and cutting, making deep cuts, pushing them together, binding them up putting salve around them so that it will heal up and grow and the tree will receive that new branch. That's how we're to receive the word of God as something being brought into us, planted into us. And we do it with gentleness. Why should you do it with gentleness? Because if you're too harsh, you'll uproot that which is planted. I don't believe that. I don't know about it. How is that possible? Ah, that can't be true. No, no, no. Receive it with gentleness. Lord, if you say it, I believe it. Lord, if you say that's the case, then I believe it. If, if that's who I am in Christ, then I, that's who I am in Christ. If you tell me 
that I'm a new creation, regardless of how I feel, what people think, what people bring up of my past. I'm a new creation. If you say that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, you know what? Maybe I don't feel like it right now, but I am. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You receive it gentle. And that makes you noble. Now notice this. The first thing they did, they received the word of God with all readiness and openness of mind. The second thing they did, they searched the scriptures daily for truth. They daily searched the scriptures for truth. So here's Paul. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching Christ to them. And then again, arguing, not like bickering back and forth, but like a lawyer argues his case, arguing from Old Testament scripture who you are waiting for. The Messiah, he has come. He's already come. I've met him on the road to Damascus. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Messiah. Have faith. Believe on him as the risen Son of God. So he's doing his part. And the Berean Jews, they receive it ready with readiness of heart. But then they search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You and I have a responsibility as Christians to know our Bible and to continue studying our Bible so that when someone says to us, well, this is what God says, this is what God thinks, you actually know whether it's right or wrong. And if you don't in the moment, you know, there's a check in your spirit, you think, oh, that don't quite sit right. You go to your Bible and you determine whether what has been told to you is truth or a lie. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine. Notice that. Doctrine. What is doctrine? It's what we believe. It's what we establish our belief system on. It's what we know to be true. Now, it does other things in well, as well, reproof, correction, instruction. But specifically in this case, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine. In other words, how do we know as Christians what we believe? By the Word of God. This is why the greater knowledge you carry of the Word of God the greater understanding you carry of God. This is why the more you know and the more you fill your heart with God's word, you become deception proof. I did a podcast sometime last year. I mean, we're on wake up call 56, not counting all the other episodes that we have that weren't wake up calls. Um, I don't know when it is, but there's one called deception proof. You might have to scroll a little. And it's back in the day, I was talking to my wife earlier today, you know, it's back in the day when I was mentioning to her, when I first started, some of these podcasts were like 10 minutes long, 12 minutes long. Now they're getting like 30, 40, and 50. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, it's way back there, so it may not even be a long one. But I think it's called deception proof. The Word of God will make you deception proof. It has to. That's our defense against deception. The way we, ref we make a how do we become deception-proof? How do we keep ourselves from being deceived? How do we prevent lies and deceptions of Satan to enter into our heart and plant itself in our heart and it bear forth fruit? That's not God's fruit, but say Satan's fruit. How do we st stop that? By the cleansing 
and the washing of our minds with the Word of God. By the severing of anything that is a lie, by the sword, the two-edged sword of the Word of God. And so these Berean Jews, they eagerly heard what Paul had to say. And then they left and went and searched the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. You know what? You need to do that. Every time, when you're listening to these podcasts, I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. But uh, then again, how would you know if I did? If you're not searching the Scripture. If you don't have the Word of God hidden in your heart. Whether it's me or anybody. And, and this is this is where the power of believing takes a hold of somebody's heart. It's one thing for you to know something because someone told you. It's a totally different thing to know something because you've experienced it, because it's in your heart. You know, my wife and I, we've been to Disney World three times since we've been married. We really enjoy it. We love just being kids when we go there and having fun. It would be one thing for someone to describe to me Disney World, and depending on who's describing it to me, I may not want to go. If you tell me about the long lines, how hot it is in the summer, how it's the happiest place on earth, even though sometimes people are yelling at screaming at each other because, you know, you broke in line or you, you bought the last churro. <laughs> but then again, someone could tell me and I think, wow, this place is where dreams come true. It's a totally another, different thing to be there and go experience it. And I know, you know what? Uh, summertime's the worst time to go, but fall's really good. And November's even better because in Florida in November, it's just right, the temperature that is. And then, you know, there's not as many people there and all that, right? It's one thing to hear something from somebody and they witness or testify of you. It's another to believe it and know it and see it and receive it for yourself. In fact, look at this, John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well, right? It's, it's, the, it's the believing phenomenon that takes place, if you will. Just made that up on the spot. Don't even know if that's the appropriate word. But John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Um, let's see if we can find it. Is it John chapter 4? There we go. Yeah, here it is. So the woman at the well, you know the story. If not, go check it out. It's John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting at the well. This woman comes up to get some water. Jesus says, hey, lady, give me some water. And she's like, sir, don't you realize I'm a Samaritan? You're a Jew, and we don't, we don't do that. We're not cordial. We're not friendly. And Jesus said, well, here's the thing. If you knew who I really was, you would ask me for water. Because the water that I have, once you drink it, you never thirst again. And the woman said, well, I sure wish you'd give me some of this water. I wouldn't have to be out here in the hot of the day, you know, dipping in my bucket to get water to take back to the house. And then Jesus says, you know, uh, well, how about this? How about you bring your husband back out here and I'll give you some? And she says, I ain't got no husband. And Jesus said, yep, you're right. The man you're living with right now isn't your husband. And you left five men before that who were your husband. And then the lady says, John four nineteen, sir, I believe you must be a prophet. You know, here's your sign. Just read your mail. And then they begin to talk about where worship, Samaritans worship here, Jews worship there. 
But when Jesus reveals to her the things that she thought was hidden and secret and that no one knew, she then realizes this guy's not just any normal guy. And then verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Well, at that point, she leaves because she just found the Messiah and he has to be the Messiah because he's doing the works of the Messiah. <laughs> and then we get to this point in verse 39 of John 4. She goes and tells the other folks in the town, hey, I found the Messiah. He's the real deal. He just told me everything I ever did. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. These guys, these Samaritan men, they tell Jesus after spending two days with him, he says, you know what? And tell, t turns to that little lady and says, you know what? We first came because we heard what you said about Jesus. And that's why we first came. We had to check this out for ourselves. But now that we have heard the word of God come from God, now that we've heard the word of Christ come from Christ, we don't believe because of what you told us. We believe because we've heard him ourselves. That's where faith takes. That's where true faith is birthed. When you hear God's voice, that's when real genuine faith is birthed alive in your heart and in your mind because you have heard God for yourself. You know, I'm just now thinking about this as I'm just sharing this point right here. This is a perfect example of witnessing and soul winning, isn't it? The Samaritan woman has an encounter with the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, Jesus. And so then she does what anybody who has an encounter with God should do. She goes and tells somebody about it. Then the people who hear say, well, we knew you before. You're now different. We'll go check out what you're talking about. So she says, yeah, come, come with me. I'll show you Jesus. I'll take you to him. Then they encounter Jesus for themselves. And so in this case, one woman encounters Christ and leads many to Christ. That's how powerful your testimony, your witness is. It's not necessarily that your testimony and your witness is what people need to hear so that they can believe, <clears throat> but it is the doorway that, is, that helps open up their hearts to believe the word of God. Your testimony and your witness is a, is a pointer. It's a, it's a signpost on the road to Christ. Here's the way to life. This is what you're looking for. This is what he did in my life. This is what he said to me. I'll take you to him. And then people encounter Christ because they encounter him.
Wow, that's powerful. But, but, but notice that. Uh, we have to search the word ourselves. And these Berean Jews, they did it daily. They're hearing what Paul says, but then they're going to the word of God and saying, okay, what he says, we've received it happily, quickly, but is it true? Does it line up with the word of God? And they did this daily. Now notice this, Psalms 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How often should you think of the Word of God and the truth of God's Word and how how much, uh, what's the word, how, how much freedom should the Word of God have to run its course in your life all the day, all day long, every moment of every hour? And that's our prayer. Lord, I want to live every moment of, moment of this day by the instruction, by the righteousness, by the glory, by the power of your word. And I think on your word continually all the day long. That's what these Berean Jews did. They searched the scriptures daily. They went and heard what Paul had to say about this Messiah. Then they go check it out themselves. Now, lastly, Acts 17, verse 12, they received the word of God with readiness, open mind. They searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. And then naturally, verse 12, it says this, Therefore many of them believed. Belief follows receiving the word of God and then seeing if it's true. And that's when faith is inspired and that's when belief should take place in your life. When you hear something from God's word, receive it readily, see that it is true, that it lines up and and comes into conformity with the message of the Bible, and then you believe it. See, that's at the point. Once you once you get, we, we say it's a new revelation. We, we get new revelations of the, God's truth. It's not that it's new in the sense that God wasn't doing it before, and now He is. It's new to us. And let's be honest, there's many things in the Bible that we discover it, and it's new. It's new to us. It's not that it's new in all matters of that term, you know, like God just came into your Bible in, you know, in the month of January, uh, January 30th, 2023, and he wrote down a new scripture in your Bible. It's not new in that way. It's that it's something new to your heart, new to your mind, new to your understanding. And we receive that and believe on that new revelation, on that new aspect, on that new understanding that we get by the Holy Spirit and study of the Word, we receive it because our hearts are open, ready to receive. And then we see, look, what, what the Lord is showing me and what I've heard through my pastor or through this Bible study or this podcast or this book that I'm reading or in conversation with other Christians, this Word that I heard, I received it. It lines up with Scripture. It's burning in my heart. I believe it. I believe it's something you're speaking to me, Lord. And that that's thats what it means to be noble. We want to be noble. It's so interesting. You look at Acts 17. I just saw this. This is another little side note. Paul visits three different cities in Acts 17. Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. Thessalonica, they oppose the word. Some believe but many opposed and ran them out. Berea, they received the word. Now you keep reading, which we did when we opened up this episode. When everyone in Berea is receiving the word of God, many Jews are being saved, but also many 
Gentile men and women are being saved. Just lots of people are being saved. And Berea, the Thessalonican Jews who are still mad from when Paul was there, hear about it and they think, let's go take us a little trip to the country and stir up some, you know, stink over there in Berea. <laughs> and so then Paul moves along. The Bereans, you know, kind of fake them out. It says verse 14, immediately they withdrew Paul as if they were going to go to the sea, but instead they, they took him to Athens. So they played a little switcheroo on these Thessalonican Jews that were trying to get Paul. So then Paul goes to Athens, and that's where he preaches at Mars Hill using the unnamed god idol that these Greeks had at Mars Hill. They had a bunch of statues to different gods, and then they had another god, another statue, the unknown god, just in case they missed out on one of the gods, and they didn't want to make this unknown god mad, so they just made a generic statue for him. Paul uses that as, the god that you desire and look into worship, he is unknown to you, and let me tell you who he is. In Athens, they mock the word. Some believe but many mock. Some say, well, we, we won't have to keep hearing about this Christian and gospel thing. We don't know if we're ready to believe, but some mock. So notice, Thessalonica opposes the word, Berea receives the word, and Athens mocks the word. You know what? Be of good courage. Be of good heart. Don't faint. Don't grow weary in doing well. When you share the word of God, some people will oppose it, some people will mock it, but thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. What a sweet, sweet, precious thing it is when some receive. Not all will oppose. Not all will mock. Hey, not all will receive. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to share the Word of God. And so you will encounter some opposers, some receivers, and some mockers. Just make that make sure that you and I, that we're persistent, just like the Apostle Paul was. We go, we teach the Word, we share the Word, and then we move on. Maybe they oppose it, maybe they receive it, maybe they mock it, but we cast out good seed of God's Word, and then we move to the next field, cast out some more good seed. And I want to encourage you to that. And I want to encourage you to be noble. Be noble. Be noble. Receive the Word of God with faith. Know the Word of God to keep yourself deception-proof. And once you get a hold of a promise of God's Word, believe it. Conceive it in your heart by faith and possess that thing from God. In Jesus' name. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. I truly pray that this blesses you. I'm thankful for every time that you tune in and every time that you share episodes with friends and on social media, I'm thankful. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel and you prefer watching my video or you just like to be able to connect with us on YouTube, we're close to 500 subscribers. We're on a tra uh, on a march to 1,000 subscribers. That's my goal to get there. And I think we're like 464 at the time of this recording. So, hey, go check out the YouTube channel. Uh, you should have all that information available wherever you're listening. Uh, faithformygeneration.com is another great place to stop at. Sign up for the uh email list. We've not sent out anything yet, but we will have some newsletters about some upcoming things that we will be releasing here in the springtime. And as well, uh, you can check out all the previous podcast episodes. If you're listening by way of audio podcast, leave a five-star review. All these types of interactions, like shares, reviews, it just helps me get the Word of God from this podcast out in front of more people. It's not even, you know, it's not like a 
well, look at there. I have 17 likes. No, that has nothing to do with it. It's that when people interact with it, all these social media platforms and podcast platforms say, hey, people actually like this. Let's show it to more people. And then by doing that, you and I get to co-labor in this work that we call Faith for My Generation, getting the Word of God out, the teaching of God's Word out in front of more eyes and in more ears so that we can truly do what you hear in the intro of every episode so that we can shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. And we're going to do that in every way that God's called us. We're going to be faithful to what He's called us to do so that we truly can shake and shape a generation with the Word of God. You know how I know that? Because we are the faithful. That's right, you and me. We're the faithful, and we're faithful to God, and we're faithful to His commands. In Jesus' name, thankful for you, and we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.